You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. At The Gate, and our passion is proclaiming the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And so every Sunday as we meet, that's our ultimate goal and what we want to do on Sundays and and any other day that we have uh, a gathering or or an activity as a church. And so it's my my blessing and privilege to do that uh, together with us as we meet, as we have been through Luke's gospel. We're going to continue through uh, the sermon series in the gospel of Luke um, in chapter 5. And I want us to remember a little bit from chapter 4, where Luke was laying some groundwork for us, uh, teaching us about um, the authority of Jesus, that Jesus has authority over the scriptures, which we heard him uh, reading from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue. And uh, Pastor Greg shared a quote in that message where Jesus taught the Old Testament as if it was his autobiography. I thought that's so true and a cool way of putting it. So he has authority over the word. He has authority over evil spirits as he cast out uh, demons as well in chapter 4. And then last week he called his disciples. So as we're partway through chapter 5, Luke is reminding us or laying some more groundwork about the authority of Jesus, who Jesus is, and and, uh, what he came to do. And so we're going to discover that Jesus not only has authority over the word, over the spiritual realm, but also over healing and forgiveness of sins. Uh, two very, very big topics that I'll just scratch the surface of uh, today. So if you do have a Bible with you, feel free to open it up to Luke chapter 5 and put a bookmark in there. Uh, we'll be camping out. And I'm going to uh, do my message in two chunks because there's actually two stories. So the first one is short. I'll read that. We'll discuss it. And then we'll read the next section as well. We'll discuss that. And then in conclusion, I'll invite us to respond uh, to God's word and what the Spirit is leading us in. So Luke 5, 12 to 16, I'm doing the CSB translation this morning, Christian Standard Bible, it says this. While he was in one of the towns... A man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching his hand out, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about uh, Jesus spread even more, and the large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to the deserted places and prayed. So uh, leprosy, there's a lot of stories in the Bible about uh, lepers, not leopards, the spotted cat, but lepers, the people who have a, a disease of the flesh. And even that much description sounds extraordinarily unpleasant. It's a generic term for uh, sores and spots and, and you know that type of thing. Uh, but Luke says that this man has uh, leprosy all over him. So this is a horrible physical state to be in. Uh, but it's also a horrible state to be in socially and religiously. Uh, in the Old Testament, particularly in Leviticus, uh, the details are laid out, the reasons that a man like this could not uh, draw 
near to God's holy temple because his disease makes him unclean, ceremonially unclean. So because of this, they couldn't come to God's presence and to worship. And what's more, uh, they couldn't even be near other people because the belief was that if you touched someone with a disease, it would uh, transmit to you somehow and also make you ceremonially unclean. And so lepers were literally cast out, uh, out of the town or settlement. They had to live uh, amongst themselves or alone. And uh, it was so serious that if a leper saw someone approaching them, they were commanded to shout out and say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, as in don't get any closer uh, because you, I, I'm not worthy, I'm not well. My disease makes me unclean. So it's physical, but it's also social and religious. It's a, you can imagine the stigma and the burden of that. As I thought of this, I, I said to myself, well, if any of us have been sick over the past year, we've had to self-isolate for a, a span of time, however long it may need to be. And a year is a long time, so there's a, there's a chance that pretty much all of us have uh, been sick. But that experience of, of isolating and, and whatnot, if you can think of that and how it felt, that would just be like a, a, a tiny sliver, right? A tiny sliver of the isolation and um, being cast out that, that the leper would have felt for we don't know how long, but presumably a very, very long time. There's a, a stigma, and, and he was oppressed by that. So, he's desperate. He's desperate enough to come. He heard something about Jesus coming into a nearby town, so he goes into the town, already breaking rules, I suppose, uh, to hope to be healed by Jesus. And uh, so there's a very unholy man the leper, approaching uh, the most holy man, Jesus Christ. And, and so, verse 12, we get the sense that the leper does not um, question or doubt that Jesus is able to heal him. That's not a part of what he says. But rather, he questions whether Jesus would have compassion to heal him, or if he was willing to heal him. Uh, this is because Jesus is famous already for his, his miracles of healing, um, so the leper feels pretty competent, competent, confident in that, but his question is if Jesus would be willing. So as we read, Jesus, as it turns out, is not only willing to heal the man, but to reach out and touch him and make him well again. The common English Bible translation says it this way. The leper says, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, and said, I do want to be clean. And instantly, the skin disease left him. So remember how leprosy was one of the many things that the, the laws in Leviticus rendered a person unclean if touched or contacted? Like if you were a leper, you couldn't draw near to the presence of God. You weren't allowed to. And we can actually read a bunch of stories of times when Moses was sorting this stuff out and setting it up for the temple in Leviticus and other Old Testament books, where this happens, where someone who is unworthy or something comes into God's presence, and the result is almost always the complete destruction of the one who is unclean, because their presence defiles the pure holiness of God's temple. Fast forward thousands of years, and here we have uh, Jesus, God's Son, Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence in the flesh. 
And Jesus is changing everything. He's changing everything. Here is the Holy Son of God. He's not only able to be around the leper, but he reaches out and touches the leper to heal him. He chooses to. So this is a simple act, but it displays a lot about the nature of Jesus, his authority, and the grace that he was delivering to the world that has fallen in sin and so needy of a savior. Jesus is the divine savior, and, but his holiness is not tainted by touching the leper who is unclean, but rather it's his holiness that extends, reaches out, and fixes what is broken in that man's life. So Jesus' holiness is what brings wholeness to the leper. It's Jesus' holiness that brings wholeness to this man. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him he would become the righteousness of God. Sorry, we could become the righteousness of God through him. I, I think I read this verse the last time I preached, which was on the baptism of Jesus, and we were talking about why did Jesus have to be baptized? Well, it was to fulfill all righteousness, Scripture teaches us. And so this miracle is, is one small snapshot or picture of what that means, that righteousness has been fulfilled. A holy God can touch he who is unclean and, and rescue him in the very act of reaching out and heal him and make him well. So yes, Jesus can heal. He is willing to heal. And he draws close. He draws especially near to those who are suffering in order to make it happen. This is revolutionary. This changes everything, as I said. For obviously, for the leper in the story, his life is going to look so different from now on. But it changes everything for us as well as we approach God with confidence and boldness through Jesus. So in verse 14, um, he actually mentions Moses, Jesus, uh, because he tells the man to go to the temple and show himself to the priest. Uh, I'm talking about Leviticus quite a bit. We can't go into it and read all the passages about it, but I encourage you to read it, because if you do, you'll find that it's actually the priest's job to examine um, people's physical diseases in order to determine if they were clean or unclean. And I had to laugh because a priest is not a pastor, but sometimes, you know, those two things kind of get mixed together. But I want to be clear, it is not my job uh, to look at your rashes or anything else, um, you know. And I want to say God bless uh, the doctors in our lives who are professionals and, and compassionate to help us with our um, diseases. It's a, it's a different time. But in those days, that was a large part of what the priest would have to do, is see the people who are unwell and, and make the decision as to whether or not they could remain or whether they were unclean. The other thing a priest did a lot of, just as a side note, was butchering. It was kind of like being a doctor and a butcher. They spent a lot of time killing animals and, and burning them. Uh, so I don't do either of those. A pastor is not a priest. Um, <laughs> Jesus tells him, go and show the priest. And this is partly t because it is uh, the, the law. You know, he's going to the priest to, to settle things. But I, I also see it as just this, the world's colliding, right, of the law which needed to be uh, 
kept in the Old Testament and then the fulfillment of the law then and there in the man of Jesus and what he does, just as that leper goes and shows the priest. Um, th- those, those two things in that moment are just mixing together, and it's, it's an amazing fulfillment of what needed to happen in God's rescue plan. So that's that. Um, so that's our first story. Like I said, I kind of wanted to read and discuss it a little bit. And then we're going to read another story of healing, a very famous and incredible, wonderful story, uh, the next verses. So Luke five seventeen to 26 carries on. It says, on one of those days while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, presumably quite a ways. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. And just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. Now, they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Uh, But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, and they lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Uh, then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. And I think reading this, we can agree with the crowd and say, we have seen incredible things today. I actually have a picture if. uh, We've got some fresh talent on the PowerPoint team, so we're really excited to have Liam back there. And this is a a 16th century rendition of the story of the man being lowered uh, in front of Jesus. You guys know I like to show these kinds of things, so anytime I have the chance, I'll I'll look up um, old biblical images to to look at as we consider the story. Uh, There's a lot going on in these verses. So it says Jesus' fame is spreading, whether he likes it or not, right? He told the leper not to tell people, but his fame is is becoming a real thing. So people are coming to hear him from other towns. And actually, this is in Luke where we are introduced to scribes and Pharisees. And if you're familiar with the New Testament and you hear those things, you're probably already getting a little bit feisty because we know that the scribes and Pharisees are mostly opposed to what Jesus is teaching and doing. And and it doesn't go so well in the end, the relationship between Jesus and these groups of people, the religious leaders. Um, But... There's, you know, there's a reason that they were there. We like to, I think I imagine that they're just sneaking around following Jesus because they don't like him, right? And they're, they're just plain mean. But there's, there's a good reason, you know, that Pharisees would be at the house with Jesus um, because it is, after all, their job, right, as religious leaders. It's their job to, you know, they're hearing of this new rabbi. He's becoming very popular for some reason. Uh, so they want to check him out and see if the Jesus of Nazareth is going to lead God's people astray into heresy and sin and all other kinds of things, or if he is legit. So they're there and they're wondering and they're learning and questioning him uh, for the sake of, of their people. 
Um, so they're there. They witness the very dramatic scene. Lucky for them, they get to see the story that we just read about unfold. Uh, so I wanted to focus on verse 20, uh, where Jesus' words uh, surprised me, at least. So the man is laid before him, and what does he say? He says, friends, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the paralyzed man, and uh, you know, I was lying there, perhaps feeling a little awkward, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, I would have thought, well, thank you, Jesus. That is very nice, but there's actually something else that I'm here to see you about today. I was hoping for a healing. Um, so why does Jesus say, start by saying that his sins are forgiven? What's the point of this? Well, saying that his sins are forgiven, it's kind of like when I take my car into a mechanic and something's wrong with it, so the mechanic asks me what, and I say, well... Here's what happens when I drive my car and I hit the brakes, it goes And uh, the real problem is not the but there's something that the mechanic needs to fix, right? They're gonna look under the car, they'll find the part that's uh, worn out or broken, or maybe there's an adjustment that needs to be made. And so they find the source of the problem and the, the shaking is just a symptom. I have no idea because I'm not a mechanic, but the, that's why I go to someone else to have my car repaired. And so they find the, for, the source of the problem and they solve it. So Jesus says what he says on purpose because he sees the source of the problem in this man's life is sin. Now, this is not necessarily to say that the reason for this man's paralysis is that he sinned personally, although it can be read this way. Uh, but what's important for us to understand is that uh, the forgiving the man's sin is showing us that the suffering in his life is a result of the presence of sin in the world, right? The presence of suffering, pain, and death in the world is because of sin. And um, this kind of makes sense to us. We're very familiar with the effects of sin to the degree that we actually think that it's normal and natural, right? If something bad happens, if you do get sick or, or hurt, or even if someone dies, to us we would say, well, that's only natural, right? That's normal, that's part of life. And it is to us, uh, but that's not actually the way that God designed his creation to begin with, is it, right? If we, if we read the creation story, God didn't make the world with sin in it. He made it perfect. He made it without suffering, and he made it pure and, and enjoyable and beautiful and orderly and all these things. Uh, but ever since the fall of humanity with Adam and Eve, sin has been a curse on creation, and so, uh, you know, when we do see a miracle, we tend to say that this is actually supernatural, as if it's completely out of the ordinary. Uh, but we can think about it the other way around, that uh, God's order is actually restored for a moment, a glimpse of God's uh, perfect will in this man's life is brought to, um, brought to us, you know, in a physical healing, in a miracle. So uh, when Jesus forgives the man's sins, God's order is restored, even just for a moment, a glimpse of God's will, um, the hope of the future glory of everything restored. We have a picture of that in the man's life. So there's good reason that Jesus begins by saying, uh, well, I'm going to heal this man, but he says, your sins are forgiven first. There's another reason, though. He seems to want to get a response uh, from the Pharisees, doesn't he? 
Um, and it works. They're indignant. They start, I think they're just thinking it amongst themselves or maybe under their breaths, right? Um, uh, and this is because they assume, and they're actually correct in saying, well, only God can forgive sins. Who is this man who blasphemes and, and mocks God by saying that he can forgive sins when that's God's job and him alone? Only God has the authority to forgive and make a sinner righteous and clean. And Jesus' response to them, he perceives their thoughts, and it's so awesome. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to tell them, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, this is a bit of a trick question, isn't it? Uh, to the ordinary person, whether they're a rabbi or someone else, actually both options are impossible, right? Because if it's true for only God to forgive uh, sins, well, that's a very hard thing for anyone to say that a person's sins are forgiven. But also, for your average person, it's actually ridiculous for them to tell a paralyzed person, well, get up, take your mat, and, and walk home, right? That would be insulting and completely extraordinary for someone to say. So the bases are loaded, and, and Jesus is stepping up to the plate to just hit the biggest home run um, because a regular rabbi cannot truly forgive sin. He cannot truly heal but for God, both are equally, completely doable. Neither of the options are impossible with God. This is what the angel uh, announced back to Mary before Jesus' birth in chapter 1, uh, verse 37. The angel said to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. So in this moment, it says that the man immediately stood up and, and left by like two just imagine the tension in the room as people hold their breaths. Uh, Jesus and the Pharisees are looking at each other, and then Jesus says, um, you know, pick up your mat and walk. And the point of all of this is that Jesus does have the right. He has the authority to accomplish what only God can do, and that is forgive sins and restore humanity back to their father in this case, restore a man's uh, body. So if the man was not healed, then the Pharisees would have been right. Jesus would be a, a, uh, a liar, and he would be claiming authority that he did not have. This is payable on death. Uh, we've already read about uh, Jesus, people attempting to stone Jesus, and it's just going to get more and more tense as things go on. Uh, but... Before everyone's eyes in this moment, uh, Jesus' divine authority to forgive and to heal are at once just on display, and the crowds are amazed, and we are amazed too. So I want to challenge us uh, this morning as we hear the story of the leper, the story of the paralyzed man. How, how would we respond? And as I prayed about it, I was saying, well, Lord, you know, there's Jesus, and, and I come before you, so who am I, right? Am I, am I like the leper, the paralyzed man who needs to be healed and, and forgiven? Or maybe I'm like the friends who are carrying the man to Jesus for, for his healing. Um, or maybe I'm even like the Pharisees, you know, like with, with doubts and questions and so on. Um, and then I felt like rather than having to choose one of these things that we would identify with, I would suggest that all of us are all of these people in the story. All of us are like each of the characters. Um, because um, 
Yeah. First of all, let's, let's backtrack uh, to the people who need healing. Each of us uh, is sick. Each of us is hurting, whether it's just with the reality of sin or in acute and specific you know, ways in our lives. Um, no person is immune from sin or can escape it uh, on our own. So maybe even as you have received healing in your life in different areas, the, the, the reality of sin is still something that we come up against every day. And I don't say this to sound like a downer, but rather to suggest that no matter who you are, you have things that you could bring to Jesus and say like the leper does, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Each of us has things that we can bring before Jesus and say, if you're willing, make me clean. And in doing this, I will assure you that God sees our suffering and he is both compassionate and able to address it as Jesus has shown, to heal our afflictions. Jesus is capable to forgive even the worst of sinner who comes to him with faith. So again, what would you bring to Jesus to be healed of today? And so the second set of the characters that I mentioned is those friends who carry the man before Jesus. And I love these guys, right? They're, they're so awesome. Everybody needs friends like them because it's such a good depiction of, of faith and friendship and relationship where the man couldn't get to Jesus on his own. So his friends say, you know what? We're going to take you there. Not only did they take him there and carry him, but when the entrance was blocked with the audience, they took matters into their own hands and they got creative and started, they pulled the old uh, destroy the roof trick, right, to get him in. Um, so uh, in some ways, yes, we need healing and we're like the leper, the paralytic, uh, but we're also called to, as Christians, be like the friends, right? Um, you have people in your life who need Jesus, and they may not even uh, be able to walk to him on their own, so to speak. So we need to uh, be carrying them. And maybe it's too much of a, a burden for you to just carry them on your own. Well, that's fine. Get a few more others to help you, right, to bring these people to Jesus to be healed. Jesus has come. He can heal. He forgives sins. He sets us free for eternity, starting today in each of our lives. And as a side note, uh, someone mentioned this when I was studying, uh, I pray that we would never be the spectators in the house who are crowded and blocking the door so that this man could not get to Jesus. May we never stand in the way um, of people coming to know Jesus. Rather, we should be like the friends. We call this intercession, which is a fancy word for what these guys were actually doing. We intercede for other people. Some of us are gifted with intercession, right? You're already doing this. You're praying. Uh, you have people that you care about and you long to see um, healing in their lives and so on. But even if it's not your gifting, I implore you this morning to consider um, who it would be that you can bring to Jesus, that you should be carrying. Who would you be praying for? Right? Who are you speaking the truth to in your life? Or who are you encouraging and sharing God's word with and lifting them up and interceding for? I'll mention as well that Jesus sees their faith, and it's plural, right? So yes, the man who's paralyzed had enough faith to want to come and be healed, but, but Jesus sees the faith of the friends, and, and then he says, um, your sins are forgiven. So this is important because we live such individual lives, right? Our culture is 
highly individualistic, and so we tend to think that other people's problems or issues, that's their thing, I'll take care of my thing, and, and we'll keep everything separate. Uh, but the church is not meant to be like that, and God's people are not meant to be like that. We should be carrying one another in our times of need and supporting and so on. So what would that look like uh, for you? Uh, third and finally, as much as we hate to admit it, we have to say that we are totally capable also of acting uh, like the Pharisees did, aren't we? we? Where we think that we actually know better than Jesus, right? That, that our ways uh, make more sense uh, than God's plans. Uh, we believe that some things maybe actually are impossible for God, right, in our lives. And we put a damper on our faith or the faith of others with, with our questions or our doubts or, or our self-righteousness or so on. So what is it? What is stopping us from trusting the supreme authority of Jesus, even in these specific areas over forgiveness and healing? Where are our doubts? Um, perhaps there are uh, maybe certain areas of your life that you would have these kinds of doubts or, or concerns. Um, you can think of examples. Um, maybe it's the forgiveness of sin. You think, well, yes, you know, God's forgiven my sin because I know my sin, but but when I think of this other person I know and what they've done, um, I, I'm doubtful, right? That, that God's grace is the same for them as it is for me. That sounds bad, but these are, these are thoughts that I think are common for us to have if we're honest. Or maybe it's more practical things where, yes, we know that, that God says he's going to provide and take care of us, but when it comes to our bank account and our money, I would prefer to have you know, my own control over that and not, not surrender it uh, to God and his will. There are lots of things where, where we withhold or we put walls up and, and, we, and we doubt uh, the power of Jesus in our lives. So what would those be for you? Because this morning, we come to Jesus in the scripture. Um, he is the healer. He is the one who forgives. He's the, the embodied presence of God who is so powerful to do the things that we've just read and then more, right? More than we could possibly give him credit for. So I encourage you, let go of those hesitations, uh, the areas where you do not trust him. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal them to you and then surrender them back to God this morning. Um, none of us, as I said, is without sin. Uh, we all need healing. We need forgiveness truly. We all need Jesus. So today as we turn our lives to Jesus and we ask these things and we surrender to what his spirit is leading us in, we believe that we are saved by his power alone. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning amazed by your power, by your authority as we read in the gospel of Luke to forgive us uh, and to heal us. And thank you that while we are not permitted as sinners to stand in your holy presence on our own, that Jesus made the way for any and all, for each of us, God, to draw near to you and be close to you and experience your love. So I thank you that as we 
seek you for our healing, for our forgiveness, that your love is put on display, that your grace is just poured out on us. And God, this morning I do ask, especially for those who are dealing with pain and with suffering today, that your healing would reach out and touch them in the specific ways that are meaningful to them, God. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to the ways that we can intercede for one another, God, that we can carry other people to Jesus who need you so much. Let us not forget uh, that that is us as well, Lord, that we were brought to you in, in your grace and forgiveness and laid before you and that you've healed us and made us well again eternally. Lord, help us to lay our, our doubts or self-righteous thoughts aside, to repent of those, and, and choose instead to just live in worship and celebration of who you are in the kingdom that Jesus has brought and how we get to live in it. We pray for its advancement um, in our lives and in this church, the gate, in the church universal, Lord, in our city and our world. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Fill us with your spirit today as we worship you now together by taking communion. Amen.